0: We want to thank Halal Shack, Apex Entertainment, Smoothie King, Syracuse.com, Skytop Liquor, and Blaze Pizza for sponsoring the 2022 Daily Orange Lacrosse Guide. Coming up on this week's Sports Cast.
1: And it might take five years before they're actually in title contention.
2: Obviously, Syracuse has this incredible coaching staff with these incredibly huge name former players. Like, does Syracuse have the talent to pull it off?
3: We're not sure, I guess, how much this team will have improved this season with the new with the new coaching staff. We're not sure whether the right pieces are still gonna fit right away.
0: A new era of Syracuse men's lacrosse begins on Saturday in the Carrier Dome with faces not unfamiliar to longtime Syracuse natives. Gary Gate helped turn Syracuse into the epicenter of lacrosse in the late 80s and early 90s and is now back, leading the team he once won three straight national championships with. Joining him on the sideline is one of the Orange's great villains, Dave Petramala, one of the best defensemen to ever play the game, but who wore the Johns Hopkins blue. He's now tasked with turning around a Syracuse defense which struggled last year, culminating in a first round NCAA tournament exit. It's a superstar coaching duo which SU is hoping will lead them back to a first Final Four since 2013 and first national championship since 2009. To get you ready for how the season will shape up, we spoke with our three men's lacrosse beat writers, Roshan Fernandez, Anish Vasudevan, and Alex Serino. They discussed the coaching changes, players to watch, key storylines to follow, and much more, as well as previewing the three stories they wrote for the 2022 Daily Orange Lacrosse Guide, which comes out on Wednesday both in print and on dailyorange.com. I'm Orobtho There. The the this is the Daily Orange Sportscast. Thank you to all three of you guys for joining us, Anish. We're going to go to you first to give us a little update on this new coaching staff what new ideas are they throwing out there? You've had a chance to go to a couple of media opportunities with the team. What have they been saying?
1: Yeah, well, Coach Gate doesn't like to give a lot away in his media ops, which is even correct while he was coaching Women's Across for the last since since two thousand seven since he first arrived at Syracuse as a coach. But it seems like he's trying to bring some of those tendencies that he had with Women's Across into the men's side now, which means just being a players' coach first trying to make sure that there's creativity in the offense. And in his introductory press conference, he said that he was trying to return the chemistry to what it was like when he was back at Syracuse winning national championships. There's been a fall off on the team chemistry wise. They've been trying to rely on a few scorers, but instead of trying to get the ball around. But on the women's side, they used a sort of like a weave offense last season. And I wouldn't be too surprised if we see something similar to that arrive in the men's game too.
0: Could you just sort of explain that, even just briefly, for people that may not be quite familiar with that?
1: Yeah, so the weave is similar to like a three-man weave in basketball, where they're just circling the ball around from a few different players on the attack or the midfield. It seems like Tucker Dordovic is going to be the kind of quarterback for this system, getting the ball out to Owen Siebold and the other attackmen. This is the issue now with Owen Hiltz being out. He was kind of part of that trio with Owen Siebold and Tucker Dordovic, but Owens will probably not be back. Uh, sources from were telling me that we're close to him that uh, he they don't know the extent of his injury yet, but they're still waiting on some more medical tests to, to come in. But yeah, it should, it should be interesting to see how they kind of use that weave, make sure the ball is getting circulated around so they just create more chemistry and create a more balanced attack rather than trying to focus on one or two players to do all the scoring.
0: It might be too early to ask this question, but who does replace Hiltz in that third man option in that weave?
1: Gate answered this in his in his last media ops. Again, he wasn't giving any specifics at all, just as to who would replace him. So honestly, it could be anyone at this point. On their attack, they do have a lot of young players. They have Blake Earlbeck, Blake uh, who's a redshirt freshman right now. Owen was a sophomore, and, and Brett Tenaglia is also a redshirt freshman from Connecticut. So we, we could see some of those players coming in, or, or maybe some others uh, as well.
0: Roshan, you had something to say?
2: Yeah, I think that, like going off of what Anish was saying, one of the biggest and most interesting storylines this season is probably going to be um, Tucker Dordovic's shift from midfield to, uh, to attack. And Gary talked about, you know, potentially moving Tucker there. And t- Tucker's honestly he's the best option Syracuse has left on attack. You know, Stephen Rafe has graduated and went to the PLL and, and Tucker has been here for a while. He understands the system. And I think it'll be really interesting to see how Gary kind of uses Tucker, who I don't know, almost is like a player who, who's kind of Gary Gate-esque, right? Like I, I feel like there are some similarities in, in the way they play and, and maybe there'll be some similarities, maybe not in the way that Gary wants to use Tucker. So that should be really interesting.
0: There's gonna be some hardcore Syracuse fans in your DMs after that one, Roshan. <laughs> I was talking about play style, not uh, not necessarily. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Well, uh, this is why I love Roshan because he's provided me the perfect segue into talking about storylines. Uh, Alex, we'll come to you first. We haven't heard from you yet. What is the big storyline that Syracuse fans need to follow this year?
3: Yeah, I think me personally, I think you know the new additions to the coaching staff and. Kind of gate, not sort of gate, sort of segueing, segueing into that kind of new era of Syracuse lacrosse, and kind of you know understanding where the team needed to improve on from last year when it comes to defense and specifically on offense and faceoffs. And by doing that, he's he's added Dave Petromala, T.D. Earl into the coaching staff. Uh, Dave Petromala was at Johns Hopkins. Now he's specializing in as Syracuse defensive coordinator. TD Erlin was the best face off face-off man in all of college across last year. So adding somebody like TD Erlin, somebody similar in age to the players, someone the players can relate to. So he knows where the team needs to improve. You know, he's led the team to re-championships as a player. So I think it shows that Syracuse is now sort of in sort of win now mode and they're ready to, and I guess through gate and these new additions, I think he knows kind of best where the team needs to improve. So biggest storyline is just seeing whether, whether the team will follow up on that.
0: Especially on defense. I know that's a, a point of emphasis I would expect this year, given how much they struggle defensively Anish, niche, uh, you had something to add with that, but I, I was going to ask generally about what changes can we expect to see on the defensive side?
1: Well, Dave was again in his introductory press conference was talking about how he's going to bring his system from Johns Hopkins, which was 41st nationally, which wasn't as as much better as Syracuse, which finished 54th nationally in scoring defense last year. But Syracuse's defense was giving up really crucial scores um, at crucial points in in the big games last year, which is something that just can't happen if they want to win out in the ACC and and try to get to the title appearance or then at least far into the tournament as gate wants them to be i think that he he wasn't giving too many specifics but that they're going to use the calls and the systems that dave was using um in johns Hopkins and trying to bring that here so the players were still trying to get used to that in the intra squad scrimmage they had earlier last year against michigan they got they got scored on a lot Um, I don't know the exact number, but their defense did not play well that game. And Owen Hiltz also got injured in that scrimmage. So they do already have these preseason issues that at least they know they need to fix before the actual season starts.
0: Anish, uh, sticking with you, what is another storyline that Syracuse fans should be following this year?
1: I think that... Again, I want to say the same thing just about defense. I think it's going to just come down to defense, defense, defense. They still don't have the goalie. They're going between two goalies right now, trying to figure out who's going to start. But as long as they have some sort of system that is able to stop some of the ACC's best offenses, that's going to be the biggest factor that's going to lead to their success. If they can't stop the ball from getting into the net, it doesn't matter how many times they score themselves. Offense is Gary Gates' specialty. He's been able to create some of the best players in lacrosse overall on the women's side, like Kayla Trainer, Katie Rowan, the Tyrell sisters right now, and uh, Emily Harris-Chuck as well. Trying to get that same success and trying to make those star players is going to help on the offensive end, but they don't have that same star power on the defensive end as they need if they want to win.
0: Roshan, coming to you finally, what is a hopefully non-defense related storyline that Syracuse fans should follow?
2: Yeah, I think what's what's going to be interesting is Syracuse is stuck with that midfield trio of Jamie Trimboli Brendan Curry, Tucker Dordovic for so many years. And now Tremboli's graduated, Dordovic's going to move to attack. And so that leaves Curry there. And it's like You know, what are we going to see from those guys who were second line midfielders, um, Lucas Quinn, Jacob Buttermore? How are those guys going to kind of step in probably to the starting lineup and who's going to come in behind them? So I think that should be really interesting. We're going to see a lot of new faces on this midfield line. And that honestly has been, you know, what's driving Syracuse's offense for quite a while. So I I think that the midfield line is is very interesting to watch. And I think what Sereno hit on is just the, the biggest question which everyone has about this season, which is that obviously Syracuse has this incredible coaching staff with these incredibly huge name, former players, like does Syracuse have the talent to pull it off? Like how much can the coaching staff really do? You know, they can, they can coach these guys as much as they want. And these guys can work as hard as they want, but like, is this team the solution or is it going to take a few years for, you know, Gary gate and Dave Petromola to kind of recruit their own guys? Cause this is still John Desco's team. So that I think that's going to be really the biggest question. I I know that's not really a storyline, but you know, what is the result of this superstar coaching staff and is it going to work? And I don't think you can judge, is it going to work just based on this year? I think it's going to take longer, but you know, after five years, did it work? So I think that, I think that this is the start of that, and it should be really interesting to see what happens.
0: Right. Kind of along a similar vein, who are the players that are going to need to maybe step up, like Roshan was saying with some of the midfield guys that were playing on second line last year? Or maybe on the defensive side, who are some of the names that we haven't really heard of too much that are going to need to make a big difference? Alex, we'll come to you again first. What is one player that that you're looking to really take a step up and be a focal point for this team?
3: Yeah, so obviously, you know, I think that, like, like we touched on earlier with the midfield situation, how Brandon Curry's gonna have to take over the whole midfield, you know, being being one of the team captains and and all that. Um, but I think what'll really show how much the te- this team has improved, especially defensively, you know, is through its through its goalkeeping. So I think you know having the addition of Bobby Gavin into that. In the goal, goalie tandem, you know, with uh, obviously with the absence, you know, the team losing Drake Porter in the offseason. I think that those two kind of areas specifically are going to emerge as x factors. just because, again, like we touched on, we're not sure, I guess, how much this team will have improved this season with the new, with the new coaching staff. We're not sure whether the right pieces are still going to fit right away. So I think those two positions will be a good ind- indicator of just whether this outlook, this new outlook, this new era is kind of going to work and, and, and going to pan out in the in in short term.
0: Roshan, we're going to come to you next. Who is the player that Syracuse fans need to watch out for? I think we talked a lot
2: about the defense and I'm going to stick with that. Actually. I think that it's going to be interesting to see, you know, we talked about the the superstar coaching staff and it's going to be interesting to see how guys like Grant Murphy and Nick DiPietro, who have been here for a while, who were on that defense last year, which I think is fair to say was struggling a little bit. I think it'll be really interesting to see how they respond and, and what, what kind of growth or progress we see out of them. Because I, I know that Nick Kakamo, the true freshman I believe um, he's he's out. He's going to be out for a little bit with an injury but he was supposed to start so I think that, that leaves Cole Horan probably and Nick DiPietro Grant Murphy so I think it should be interesting to see how those guys really really do react with, with Dave Petramola
0: kind of coaching them Kakamo was going to start as a freshman I think so wow okay Anish we come to you finally what is the player that you have your eyes on
1: yeah, so we've touched on this before, just about Owen's injury and who's gonna even uh, replace him on on the attack. Even with Tucker coming up, that still means that they need other options if they want to make sure that the offense works perfectly and works to to how they they're going to want to you know get the ball in the back of the net. So I think Liam Ferris, he's a sophomore as well, six foot two, two hundred five pounds, big guy that could that could add a lot of depth to their offensive attack. Owen Siebel is going to be. Huge. If he, if he's struggling, then you could see maybe other players like Basil Urban, Basil LeBurn, sorry, Brett, Brett Tanaglia making making the making starts in games or getting a lot of time off the bench. They they're redshirt freshmen, but even with the with with Hilt's injury, he was able to sh- before Hiltz was injured, he was able to show that just because Owen Hiltz was young didn't mean that he didn't have a big role in the attack. He was able to put a lot of crucial goals in four Syracuse last season, and they might need to rely on another young player this year to replace Owen Hiltz. Their attack, other than that, is Owen Siebold's the oldest being a senior. Everyone else is a redshirt freshman or a
0: sophomore. A young team all around, but not at the faceoff dot. FOP is back, I believe. I do want to just touch on face-offs quickly because that's something that you guys haven't really mentioned at all. What does that situation look like? I'm assuming that FOP is going to get the start again. Roshan, we come to you.
2: Yeah, I I would assume that Jacob Fopp's going to start at the faceoff too. And I think that last season was a really up and down year for him. You know, he had the two incredible games against Virginia who ended up being national champions. And then there was – some very uneven performances for the rest of the season. So I think it should be really interesting to see what FALP has been doing in the off season. For some reason, he just matched up really well against Virginia, I think. And I, I think that you know a lot of faceoff guys who I talked with last year were saying that you know sometimes people just match up a certain way and guys do a certain thing with their hands that that works better than against other guys. So I think working with T.D. Erland should be really interesting for him. And and like we've talked about, you know, through this entire podcast. You know what will be the result of this superstar coaching staff? Will it have the effect that it might, it, that we think it could have, or, or will it be a flop? You know, time will tell. But I, I think that Jacob Falk still has that job and it's, it's his to lose.
0: Another question that I'm not 100% sure if you guys have the answer to, but how much is Erlen actually working with the team? Is he here on a day to day basis? Is it week to week? What does that look like? I think
2: I only know that he's a volunteer assistant. Um, So I would assume that he's not here all day, every day, but I don't know the answer to the rest of that.
0: Okay. All good. Going to some predictions from you guys now, Uh, Alex, we'll start with you. Ideally, I would like a record where they're going to finish in the ACC, and then at the end, we'll get the uh, NCAA tournament predictions from everyone. But just record and ACC result for now.
3: Yeah. So I think the team – I had the team finishing 10-4, and And then going 500 in ACC, so three of those losses would be in ACC play. Just because you know, I think I think the team, just like last season, I mean they'll they'll lose they'll lose sort of games that are more toss ups and are more out of reach. But last year they did beat Virginia, and they did handle the non conference slate relatively well. So I think. You know, you're you're still keeping very important pieces in the attack, especially so I think that'll carry over. I think the team will definitely the team should make the NCAA tournament and my guess is that they'll 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 definitely advance past the first round. so I think, yeah, I think an improved offense could definitely sort of carry that carry that weight a little bit.
0: Anish, is that too optimistic? Ten and four?
1: No, I think. I mean, Roshan just nodded his head, no. though, <laughs> he thinks it's too much. But I think that they actually just might finish nine and five. So I had a similar, similar description to to what Alex just said about where the team's going to end up. But I think that they are going to go two and four in ACC play. The ACC is the top conference in lacrosse. I don't think that the coaching changes are going to mean. That Syracuse is going to improve as much as they did, as much as they struggled from last season. And it's not going to be an immediate change. Like Roshan said, it might take five years before they're actually in title contention. But with some of these players like Tucker, like Owen, it is their last chance to kind of get to the top of the the top of the mountain, if you want to say. But I think that they're going to struggle against teams like Virginia, Duke, North Carolina. It's going to be it, the Syracuse finished eleventh right now in the preseason rankings, and, and North Carolina and a few other ACC teams are lower than them in those rankings. But again, those rankings don't mean anything until the season actually starts, and those rankings don't have haven't taken into haven't factored in Owen Hiltz's injury, which is completely detrimental to Syracuse's attack. So I think that again probably will get past the first round, maybe, but I don't see them going much further in the NCAA tournament. For those Syracuse fateful fans, I don't think Gates hiring is going to bring happiness or complete joy immediately. It might take a few years.
2: Roshan, how about you? I picked Syracuse to go eight and six this year. I think they're going to make another first-round exit from the tournament. I, mean, I just think that, you know, Obviously the coaching staff hires are great, but like Anish said, you know, it's, it's not going to be an immediate answer. I, I think this defense still needs a lot of work. I think the the injury to Hiltz is going to be, that's going to hurt a lot too. And I think that Syracuse has lost a lot of key pieces from last year and, and last year, you know, wasn't, wasn't a great year to be honest. So I don't know. I think back to Pat Kavanaugh and Notre Dame kind of just shredding the Syracuse defense. I think he scored 20 points in two games and and I'm just not convinced that Syracuse can keep up in the ACC right now. So I, I think that the coach's projection, which which had Syracuse finishing fifth last in the ACC, I, I think that's accurate. I do think Syracuse will finish last in the ACC and I, I think that eight and six is, yeah, it's an improvement from last year, but but it's, it's going to be small steps until Gary Gate can get his own recruiting class.
0: Man, you're going to be getting a lot of DMs whenever this comes out. <laughs> Roshan, we'll stick with you because uh, I want to transition a little bit and talking about the stories that you guys wrote for the 2022 Daily Orange Lacrosse Guide, which comes out on Wednesday. Roshan, you dug a little deeper into Gary, his history and what it means for him to be coaching at Syracuse now. What were you able to find out?
2: Yeah. So I talked with a lot of Syracuse alums just about what does Gary Gates hire really mean in terms of Syracuse getting back to where it used to be. And I think a lot of the interesting conversations that I had were that, you know, Gary won three national titles in four years during his time here. And a lot of people talked about the fact that like Syracuse isn't at that same standard of greatness that they used to be at. And and that's not like the expectation now is not that Syracuse wins three national titles in four years. That's absurd. Like, lacrosse has changed so much. The game has changed so much. There's so many more competitors every season who could win a title. And so that being said, like, e- even if you keep that in mind, Syracuse is still not up to kind of that standard that it's set for itself and that Gary Gates set for for the program. And so I think that him at the helm is just really interesting to think about the fact that, you know, Gary Gates, the guy who's, who put the program up here, and obviously it wasn't him solely, but, but he's one of the people who put the program up here. And it's like, how is it possible for him to lead the program back up there again? So I I think that that's the storyline, which is really fascinating to me, at least. And, and, and really, you know, Syracuse is they haven't been to a, a Final Four since 2013. They haven't won the national title since 2009. Those are both the longest droughts in, in program history, if you, go, if you go back to 1980. So I think that that's, that's really concerning to a lot of Syracuse alums. But, but with the hiring of Gary Gate comes this feeling of, of hope and excitement. And of that Gary was the guy who did that when he was a player. He's the greatest player ever. A bunch of people have said that. And so can he do it again as a coach?
0: Funnily enough, I know you mentioned Gary winning three championships in four years. That's what Virginia is going for this year. So I know the competition is a lot stiffer now in college lacrosse, but uh, it is apparently still possible for teams to dominate. Now, in sticking with Gary, what, from his side, what does it mean for him to be coming back to coach this team? and, And what is his vision?
2: Yeah, I think that, you know, I think a lot of people were surprised that he took the men's head coaching job. And I think that was a really interesting kind of twist of events where a lot of people said, you know, thousands of people have asked Gary over his time, oh, are you going to coach the men's team? Are you going to coach the men's team? And he's always, you know, not answered the question or said, no, he was very content with coaching the women's program. And, and to be honest, you know, when we asked him that at the media opportunity too, it didn't, he didn't really have a concrete answer. It kind of just seemed like, you know, I, I think the opportunity presented itself to coach the men's team. And he realized that he's the fifth head coach in Syracuse history. He doesn't take this chance now. There's probably never going to be an opening again during his lifetime. And sure he's, he's built the women's program up to where it is now. And I'm sure it's very frustrating that he had to walk away from that without winning the national title. But it's also just the fact that, you know, he's, I don't want to say content, but he knows what he built. And he knows the program that the direction the program is trending in. And so he's kind of okay with like, okay I'm gonna, I'm gonna step away from that because i know what i did and i'm gonna go kind of take this once in a lifetime opportunity with with the men's program which you know m- again maybe there's going to be an opening in 10 years but very well maybe there's never going to be an opening for another you know 30 40 years
0: that is the other part of it is that he did build up the women's program here this isn't a return for him to syracuse this is purely just a return for him to SU men's lacrosse. What is What did you find out about that side of things, that he has been at Syracuse? He's seen how this program has maybe deteriorated over the last decade or so.
2: Yeah, I just thought it was really interesting because a lot of, I talked to a couple of men's players who played for Syracuse within the last decade. So they played for John Desco and, and they kind of told me these stories about you know, um, Desco's office being, I think it's upstairs and Gary Gate's office being directly below downstairs and and them kind of crossing in the hallways and and walking into Gary Gate's office, even though they didn't play for him and and kind of asking him, oh, you know, I I have the number 22. How do I handle this pressure? You know, how do I string a stick? Like all of these kinds of things is like Gary Gate has been around Syracuse for so long. I, I think when we asked him too, is like, does it feel surreal to be coming back, coming home? And he was like, you know, to be honest, it's, it's just different, but I've been here, you know, I've been here since 2007. So it's, it's definitely a, a surreal feeling to be coaching the men's team now, but like it's, it's not something new for him. He's, he understands the program he's been around the program and he, more than anything, he understands Syracuse. Like he gets how Syracuse the process is supposed to run. And I think that that's, what's really comforting for so many people in the community is that like, we get one of our own as the head coach. And not only do we get one of our own, but like, he's the perfect hire. Like we could have gone outside for a hire who would have fit this job really well, but like he is the, or at least right now what people are saying is he is the perfect hire and he's a Syracuse alum. So it's kind of, it's kind of getting both of those things is that like he wore 22. He's going to have his jersey lifted into the rafters in two weeks and, and he just gets it. He knows what the environment's about and because he built it.
0: Alex, we come to you next. You wrote about Brendan Curry, who's been a stalwart on Syracuse's midfield line for, I believe, the last four years now. It's looking a little bit different around him now, a few younger players, but what were you able to find out about him and what it means for him to be returning to Syracuse this year and what he wants out of this year?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, he said said the big thing. You know, he wants – he's wanted to win a national championship – since he's gotten here, and you know, this is really his last chance, his last chance to do it. So that's the one thing he's he's really big on. I, I touched on in my story how big Syracuse lacrosse is for him and his family. He's the son of Todd Curry, who's a former All American, just like just like he is too. And Brendan's only the second three time captain in Syracuse history. So a player of that caliber, a player, you know, who's Fled orange his, his whole life this year is pretty much everything for him. And so he's, he's going to, you know, now he's got, he he's really going to be that focal point of the midfield now. So it's really, it's really up to him to, you know, have a, have a big impact in, in whether that the outcome that he wants actually happens.
0: Like you mentioned, this really is his family school. His dad was an all American here you touched on that relationship between him and his dad in the story. Can you kind of describe what that's like and what you were able to find out about that relationship?
3: yeah i mean it's it's obviously you know a big part of it is, has obviously been about lacrosse uh, his 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 dad, Todd is definitely the one that inspired Brendan to start playing. but the two of them never really made it about you know getting getting to Syracuse or being you know, the best lacrosse player you can be. And it's, it's really just about having fun with it. And That's how it's been throughout high school. He played at one of the best high school programs in the Baltimore Baltimore area. And that's the way it's been at Syracuse. You know, one of the things that his dad told him before he came to Syracuse and decided to play for Coach Desco was, you know, just how, yes – you know, Coach Tesco is very no-nonsense and very serious about the team performing well in lacrosse, but he'll also, you know, let you have a have a life outside of lacrosse, too. So that sort of influence that his dad has had. You know, he's always listened to stories his dad has told him. He's always idolized how his dad has treated lacrosse and really just life in general, and that sort of plays into why he's here right now and why this team means so much to him.
0: Now, as you mentioned, his dad never really sort of forced him into lacrosse. So what was the, I guess, factor for Brendan to go into lacrosse? I know he must've been inspired by his dad to a certain degree. What was that like for him growing up?
3: Yeah. I mean, they, you know, they, they would always go out, go outside, pass the ball around, And you know, draw up draw up little plays that they yeah, just draw up any any little plays that they could come up with. So it it was all just about fun and just being creative with with lacrosse. And then growing up, you know, he tied Coach Brendan throughout different rec teams during during club team and middle school. And also the fact that he knew a lot of the coaches that Brennan had at Calvert Hall also really helped because, you know, when, when Todd graduated from Syracuse, he he immediately went to play in Baltimore for Mount Washington lacrosse club. And at that club, you know, aside from a few of Brennan's Calvert Hall coaches, he also played with, or it's the same team at least that, both Gary and Paul Gate used to play for Dave Petromalli used to play for that team. And so he definitely knows what good coaching is as well. And, you know, he, he trusts a lot of those people around him as well. So getting Brendan the bright coaching and really just, again, not, not making him take it too serious, too seriously. And just letting, letting him develop that, that love for lacrosse on his own really just kind of let Brennan's game take off. And, you know, when Brennan originally committed to depend to his freshman year, and then when Syracuse showed interest, you know, it's that influence that, wow, you know, my dad did this at Syracuse. He's told me so much about it. I might as well give it a shot. I'm ready for this. And, That's exactly what he did.
0: So there was a certain sense of, I guess, kind of wanting to follow in his footsteps.
3: Yeah. I mean, just, you know, he's, he, he just loved. It's more about just loving the Syracuse program and just obviously seeing how much of an influence that's had on his dad and just his whole life leading up to that. Not, not so much more about, it wasn't so much about I'm going to one up my dad or I'm going to, you know, try to match what he did. I'm going to sort of create my own, create my own legacy. And I think, yeah, I think he's done. I think he's done just that.
0: You know, this question is coming. I like to ask it to everyone. What is the story or anecdote that didn't make your story that you'd like to share with us today?
3: Yeah, I think it's important that, you know, I mean, I, I talk about how, you know, how big of a lacrosse school and, you know, how how much lacrosse influenced Calvert Hall. But what I didn't really talk about is just how much of an influence the Baltimore lacrosse scene has. Cause you know, we know how much lacrosse or how big lacrosse is up in, you know, the upstate New York area and all that. And, you know, that that's where Todd grew, grew up. Todd grew up learning how to play lacrosse up here. He went to West Genesee high school and a former Syracuse lacrosse coach Kevin Donahue actually taught him everything he needs to know or went went to play with him at one of the local parks up here as well. But pretty much, you know, Brendan would go to all the Calvert Hall games on Friday nights like that. Like, it wasn't Friday night. It's not Friday night football in, in Baltimore. It's, you know, Friday night lacrosse. And he grew up, like I mentioned, the the Kelly family who – Brian Kelly, who coached him at Calvert Hall, you know, that they they all knew each other. And so just going there, being a part of that supportive environment, supportive lacrosse community in lacrosse is that's another thing that really shaped his interest in the game. And then and, and then also how big of an influence his class had on fu- future classes, because, again, they've they went to go see they've watched Brendan play for many years. His class also had numerous D one D one athletes too, many of them ranked just like Brendan. So just that influence that he had and the rest of his class had on future Calvert Hall classes, I guess, shows one, just the influence of just the influence the cross has in Baltimore, but also just how much influence Brendan had as a teammate over the success of multiple programs in the past. And now that's sort of translating over to Syracuse.
0: Anish, we come to you finally to talk about Owen Siebold and his somewhat unusual connection to lacrosse. He's from Texas and his dad is actually the one that popularized a lot of lacrosse in the high school that he played for as a club team. And that's how Owen got into it initially. Can you talk a little bit about how that started and, and what that was like for Owen growing up?
1: Yeah, so... When Owen was born in, in 98, there wasn't a lot of youth lacrosse in Texas overall. His dad, Bob Siebold, who won the national championship at Sioux, in, in 1983, wanted to start something that his kids and kids like him, his friends' kids could play the sport that they fell in love with. In So in football country Texas, lacrosse was just a, just not something that any kids even knew about. They were talking about how in When they first moved to Highland Park, his net in the backyard, uh, Owen's net, was the only one that was there on the street. And now the community has embraced it so much that it's everywhere. It's on every single house, every single lot line. You can see that there's a lacrosse goal or there's a lacrosse sticker on someone's bumper while they're on the highway. And that was just something that just wasn't at all part of the society as part of the community. But lacrosse was loved because Bob made them love it in the community and it spread. And they also created a club team, which Owen was a part of. And and while both were succeeding at the same time, they they kind of helped each other out. And Owen emerged as a as one of the best D1 recruits from Texas going into Syracuse.
0: What was that process like for Bob trying to start lacrosse again in a, a state which is really dominated by football and only football? Yeah,
1: well, you said that they had to revolve their schedules around the football season, so they actually could not take over. But instead of playing in the fall, they'd play in the spring or summer. And they were trying to make sure that kids knew that they had the option to still play other sports. But what uh, Bob actually did was recruit kids from Owen's football team, specifically, just because he knew that they would be good athletes and that if, they, if he gave them a stick, they'd still fall in love with lacrosse and they could build on their athletic abilities by playing lacrosse. And Owen also said that he was also able to become a good um, lacrosse player because of the skills he got from football and basketball. And when he realized that he, because he was from Texas, he was just a better athlete than kids from the East Coast. And that's kind of how Bob was able to start it. He was able to just let athletes be athletes, but just giving them the fundamentals and the coaching for the sport that was unfamiliar to most of them.
0: We're starting to see a lot more recruits come in from some of those southern states, especially Texas. With Owen's process, what was that like for him to be able to get that Syracuse call when he's, you know, coming especially from a place I'm sure when he played in high school didn't have the best competition?
1: Yeah, so Johnny Murano was one of Bob's friends in the Dallas area who started his own youth program and then The two of them together started coast-to-coast lacrosse, which was a travel team that Owen was a part of, Murano's son was also a part of, and they all just got together and started this thing, which would go to the East Coast every summer trying to play tournaments. And that's kind of how they were able to get recruited. And, And in ninth grade, when Owen went there, went to the East Coast for a tournament, Syracuse just was head over heels for him. They wanted him immediately which is something that he knew in the back of his head that he always wanted to go to Syracuse, but that kind of solidified his spot into getting, a, getting recruited from his dad's alma mater. And also what Murano was saying was that initially only defensive players were getting recruited because they had so much athletic talent again. So a guy, Brandon Mullins, who was a Syracuse All-American, he's from Copple High School, which Murano coached in Texas. And he was a part of Coast to Coast, but he was uh, also had offers from Oklahoma and Notre Dame in football. But because of his athletic ability, he wanted to, and his love for lacrosse, he wanted to stick to lacrosse. So he turned down offers from Oklahoma and Notre Dame, and he was the best defensive player, apparently, in all of 5A, which at the time was the highest level of high school sport in Texas. But he decided not to play football, go into lacrosse. And that was one of the big decisions, just because a guy of that stature in football was deciding to go into lacrosse meant that the sport had already come a long way. And by the time Owen was in the class of 2017, there was enough offensive players to also get recruited because they had been starting since they were in first grade, since um, going through Bob's program.
0: Yeah, and I wanted to just learn a little bit more about, you know, specifically with Owen, I'm sure that he must have been picking up a stick when he was like three, four years old. Yeah,
1: so his dad, Bob, coached the high school club lacrosse team at Highland Park. So Owen would come with a stick at three years old, just like playing catch with the other players, showing them his moves and stuff. But again, that was why I kind of Bob wanted to start this youth lacrosse thing, because he he knew that. His kid wouldn't be able to get the right competition at all if he was just playing by himself with some of these guys. And and that the normal way was to wait till high school till you joined the club team versus trying to start it when you're in first grade when you actually first fall in love with sports.
0: And I kind of want to end it by talking a little bit about how it is now. Like you said, you can see nets on every backyard. You can see bumper stickers on the highway, what did Bob have to say about the growth of of lacrosse as he's seen it, not just in Dallas, but everywhere else in Texas, and also the club lacrosse scene in Texas?
1: Yeah, so he was kind of humble about it, but Owen himself could not talk just any more high praise of his dad. He was saying that a lot of college players now have come up to him, have messaged him saying, thank you to your dad, just I wouldn't have been in college lacrosse if it wasn't for him. And he said that um, he put Texas lacrosse on the map and he just inspired kids to want to pick up a stick. That was just who Bob was. And Owen was able to succeed because of that. And because both of them had this shared love for lacrosse, Bob teaching it and Owen playing it, it was kind of the perfect father-son relationship that they could have. And also just, they were they were talking about, again, Murano said that one of his, one of the former players from Coast to Coast is even like, a professor at at some college and one of his students was another younger player that had just finished playing and just got into college so kind of this familial atmosphere even some of the guys that don't make it as players they still meet later down in their life and this is just even though this is kind of a recent thing that's only been happening since since 2001 early 2000s it's still made an impact on a lot of people and I think that's the biggest thing is that This was just a sport that no one knew about at first, but now Dallas, Austin, Houston, at the high school scene, private schools, public schools, it's big. It's still not considered high school sports status, so it's still club status because there's not enough schools in the entire state of Texas that play lacrosse for it to get high school sports status. But there is just big lacrosse hubs in communities, kind of like we see in other places like Canada or, or the Northeast just with hotbeds. But now that those hotbeds are starting in Texas and that's because of Bob.
0: Final question that I like to ask everyone, in Anish, and you know this, what is the story or quote or anecdote that didn't make the actual story that you'd like to share with us today?
1: Yeah, so I actually have one for this, which is great. Owen, he would come home. He'd from from practice every day, he'd go right to his backyard, play on his net. Then he'd go practice those moves in, in youth lacrosse practice, whether it was Highland Park or it was coast-to-coast practice. Then he'd come home, and then he'd sit down, watch YouTube videos of all his favorite players. And sometimes he would even go on Facebook. So this is early Facebook. He'd go on Facebook. He'd send a message to some of the players being like, yo, can I get some gloves? Can I get something? And some of them gave him stuff back. He wouldn't give me the actual names of it. I think he was a little too embarrassed that he actually sent messages on Facebook and everyone actually responded. But I thought that was cool. That just showed that he really, really loves the sport. And it's not something that kind of just found him. He's been determined since he was a little kid that this was something that he wanted to do. He had only like Syracuse lacrosse players on posters on his walls. And now, uh, you know, he's one of those players, which is crazy.
0: Be sure to check out all three of those stories in the 2022 Daily Orange Lacrosse Guide when it comes out on Wednesday. Also, follow Roshan, Anish, and Alex on Twitter and on the Daily Orange webpage throughout the lacrosse season for the latest news and various feature stories. They'll be at every game this year and have the inside line on Syracuse Lacrosse. And as always, follow Daily Orange Sports on Twitter and Instagram to make sure you never miss an episode of the Sportscast or what's happening around Syracuse athletics. I'm Arab Thomajindar, host and editorial director. Marnie Munoz is the podcast editor. Henry O'Brien and Connor Pignatello are the assistant sports digital editors. Adam Wolf is our music producer. Matt Wrigley and RJ Fram are the associate producers, and Nick Luttrell is the executive producer of the show.